0: Section nine of Annual Reports to the Massachusetts Board of Education by Horace Mann. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Annual Reports to the Massachusetts Board of Education by Horace Mann. Second Annual Report, eighteen thirty eight, Part one. Second Annual Report of the Secretary of the Board of Education, December, eighteen thirty eight. To the Board of Education gentlemen i hereby respectfully submit some account of my proceedings during the last year in discharging the duties of the office you have confided to me i should deem it an encroachment upon the province of the board to advert to such topics in the administration of the school law as are equally well known to the board as to myself such for instance as the measures they have taken for establishing normal schools for causing school libraries to be prepared, and the designation of the form and time for making the school returns. I shall therefore confine myself to such facts as have come more immediately within my own knowledge and to the considerations suggested by them. During the past season, after having given seasonable notice, by sending circulars to the school committee of each town in the Commonwealth, I visited the fourteen counties in the State, and, at convenient and central places, have met such of the friends of education as chose to attend. At a majority of these meetings I have been aided by the presence and cooperation of one or more of the members of the board. Other distinguished citizens, who for many years have received the fullest testimonials of the people's confidence, have been present, and have taken an active and most useful part in the proceedings. Except in the three counties of Hampton, Berkshire, and Essex, the conventions have been well attended by school committees, teachers, and other friends of education. The time of the meetings has been occupied by statements respecting the condition of the public schools, by discussions in regard to the processes of teaching, and by the delivery of one or more addresses it appeared from facts ascertained during the last part of the year eighteen thirty seven and communicated by me to the board in the report of january first eighteen thirty eight that the common school system of massachusetts had fallen into a state of general unsoundness and debility that a great majority of the schoolhouses were not only ill adapted to encourage mental effort but in many cases were absolutely perilous to the health and symmetrical growth of the children, that the schools were under a sleepy supervision, that many of the most intelligent and wealthy of our citizens had become estranged from their welfare, and that the teachers of the schools, although with very few exceptions persons of estimable character and of great private worth, yet in the absence of all opportunities to qualify themselves for the performance of the most difficult and delicate task which in the arrangements of providence is committed to human hands were necessarily and therefore without fault of their own deeply and widely deficient in the two indispensable prerequisites for their office namely a knowledge of the human mind as the subject of improvement and a knowledge of the means best adapted wisely to unfold and direct its growing faculties. To expect that a system, animated only by a feeble principle of life, and that life in irregular action, could be restored at once to health and vigour, would be a sure preparation for disappointment. It is now twenty years since the absolute government of Prussia, under the impulse of self-preservation, entered upon the work of entirely remodelling their common schools, so as to give them a comprehensiveness and an efficacy which would embrace and educate every child in the kingdom. In this undertaking, high intelligence has been aided at every step by unlimited power, and yet the work is but just completed, in some places and in some circumstances of detail, I believe not yet completed." their engine of reform is the command of the sovereign enforced by penalties ours is the intelligence of the people stimulated by duty their plan has the advantage of efficiency and dispatch but it has this disadvantage that what the ruler may decree to-day his successor may revoke to-morrow ours has the disadvantage of slowness in execution but the compensatory advantage of permanency when accomplished. Besides, if our schools are voluntarily advanced through the intelligence of the people, the agents themselves will be benefited almost as much as the objects. These considerations ought to satisfy those persons who seem impatient of delay, and who think that any Board of Education could reanimate our system in one or even in a few years. Considering, then, the description of the means to be employed for raising our schools to a reasonable and practicable point of usefulness, it may be confidently stated that the efforts which have been made in different places have accomplished something already, and have given sure auguries of a speedier progression hereafter. In my circuit this year Nantucket was the first place visited. This town contains almost ten thousand inhabitants when there the previous season there was but one set of public schools for all the children to them only children over the age of six years were admitted and no public provision existed for the education of those below during the last year that town has established two primary schools for small children and also a school as it is denominated in the statute for the benefit of all the inhabitants of the town to the last, pupils are admitted on passing an examination in the branches, required to be taught in the middle or secondary schools. The organization, therefore, is now perfect. The small children are provided for by themselves. This is an advantage which can hardly be overestimated. For the purpose of preserving order and silence in schools composed of scholars of all ages, it becomes almost necessary to practise a rigour of restraint and a severity of discipline upon the small children, which is always injurious and often cruel. The youngest scholars are constitutionally the most active. Their proportion of brain and nervous system, compared with the whole body, is much the greatest. Their restlessness does not proceed from volition, but from the involuntary impulses of nature. They vibrate at the slightest touch and they can no more help a responsive impulse at every sight and sound, than they can help seeing and hearing with open eyes and ears. What aggravates the difficulty is that they have nothing to do. At a time when nature designs they shall be more active than at any other period of their life, a stagnation of all the powers of mind and body is enforced. But while the heart beats and the blood flows, the signs of life cannot be wholly suppressed and therefore the steady working of nature's laws is sure to furnish the teacher with occasions for discipline. If it would be intolerably irksome for any of the large scholars to sit still for half a day, in a constrained posture, with hands unoccupied, arid eyes looking straight into vacancy, how much more intolerable it is for the small ones! Hence the importance of having such a gradation of schools, in every place where it is practicable, as has lately been established in Nantucket. Another invaluable advantage of having three grades of schools is that, while it diminishes at least one-half the number of classes in each school, it increases the number in each class, and thus allows the teacher to devote more time to the recitations and to the oral instruction of his enlarged classes. Another point of great importance to the schools was well illustrated in the change at Nantucket, when I was there in 1837, a private school was in operation, kept by one of the most accomplished instructors in the State, and sustained at great expense to its patrons. When the arrangement above referred to was made, this gentleman was employed by the town to keep the town school. The private school was, of course, given up, but he carried with him into the town school most of his former pupils, and he now educates many others who could not afford the expense of the private school although in such cases the compensation of the teacher may not be quite as great nominally yet it will probably be worth as much as he will receive it directly from the town in regular instalments and will have none of the trouble of collecting bills within the last year also every schoolhouse in nantucket has been provided with a good ventilator and with new and comfortable seats. This leaves little to be desired in that town, in regard to the places where the processes of education are carried on. Competent teachers, fidelity in the committee, suitable school books, libraries, and a good apparatus, and bringing all the children within the beneficent influences of the school, will complete the work. For the town school, an extensive and valuable apparatus has been provided, and also some of a less costly description for the primary schools. To accomplish these praiseworthy purposes, the town last year almost doubled its former appropriation. Another highly gratifying indication of increased attention to the welfare of the schools has been given by the city of Salem. A year ago, the schoolhouses in that city were without ventilation, and many of them with such seats as excited vivid ideas of corporal punishment, and almost prompted one to ask the children for what offence they had been committed. At an expense of about two thousand dollars, the seats in all the schoolhouses except one have been reconstructed, and provisions for ventilation have been made. I am told that the effect, in the quiet, attention, and proficiency of the pupils, was immediately manifested. In many other places, improvements of the same kind have been made— though to a less extent and in only a part of the houses it would be a great mistake however to suppose that nothing remains to be done in this important department of the system of public instruction the cases mentioned are the slightest exceptions compared with the generality of the neglect the urgent reasons for making the report on schoolhouses last year still continue in the important point of ventilation so essential to the health composure and mental elasticity of the pupils most of the houses remain without change except indeed that very undesirable change which has been wrought by time and the elements or such change as has been effected by stripping off the external covering of the house on some emergency for fuel the children must continue to breathe poisonous air and to sit upon seats threatening structural derangement until parents become satisfied that a little money may well be expended to secure to their offspring the blessings of sound health a good conformation and a strong quick-working mind a highly respectable physician who for several years has attended to the actual results of bad internal arrangements and bad locations for schoolhouses upon the health of the pupils took measures during the past summer to ascertain with exactness the relative amount of sickness suffered by the children, in a given period of time, in two annual schools. The schools were selected on account of their proximity, being but a short distance from each other. They consisted of very nearly the same number of children, belonging to families in the same condition of life, and no general physical causes were known to exist which should have distinguished them from each other, in regard to the health of the pupils. But one house was dry and well ventilated, the other damp and so situated as to render ventilation impracticable. In the former, during a period of forty-five days, five scholars were absent from sickness, to the amount in the whole of twenty days. In the latter, during the same period of time and for the same cause, nineteen children were absent to an amount in the whole of one hundred and forty-five days. That is almost four times the number of children, and more than seven times the amount of sickness. And the appearances of the children, not thus detained by sickness, indicated a marked difference in their condition as to health. On such a subject, where all the causes in operation may not be known, it would be unphilosophical to draw general conclusions from a particular observation, no reason however can be divined why this single result should not fairly represent the average of any given number of years similar results for successive years must satisfy any one respecting the true cause of such calamities if indeed any one can remain sceptical in regard to the connection between good health and pure air the committee who take charge of the primary schools in the city of boston established in the month of september last a model school to this school it is intended to devote an unusual share of attention it is under the immediate supervision of gentlemen intelligent and highly interested in its success their object is to select the best books to learn as far as possible the true periods of alternation between study and exercise for young children and to improve upon existing processes for moral and intellectual training. When their plans are somewhat matured, by observation and experience, it is their intention to bring the teachers of the other primary schools, of which there are more than eighty in the City, in regular succession into this school, to familiarize them, with whatever upon experiment shall be found to succeed well. Although it cannot be doubted that this enterprise, under the judicious management of the Committee, will prove very beneficial, yet it is hardly rational to anticipate that it will supersede the necessity of a normal school for the city. I cannot doubt that the Board will hear with lively gratification other evidence of an increased interest in this subject, considering how inadequate to the wants of the whole community a county meeting annual only on the subject of education must necessarily be, several of the county conventions appointed large and most respectable committees to prepare and deliver or cause to be prepared and delivered a lecture in the different towns of the respective counties or where the towns were large in different places in the same town in pursuance of this excellent plan such lectures have already been delivered or lecturers are now engaged in delivering them in the counties of Nantucket, Hampton, Hampshire, Franklin, Worcester, and to some extent in Essex. During the last summer, too, a few gentlemen in the city of Boston adopted measures to procure the delivery of a course of weekly lectures for the benefit of teachers in the city. This course commenced about the middle of October last, and still continues. Engaged in country and city, in this voluntary and gratuitous labor, are gentlemen who have been or are members of the state and national legislatures counselors at law physicians clergymen of all denominations experienced and long-approved teachers and some of the most popular writers in the state all these intelligent and forecasting men who see that future consequences can alone be regulated by attention to present causes are profoundly convinced that unless juvenile feelings in this state and country are assiduously trained to an observance of law and a reverence for justice, it will be impossible to restrain adult passions from individual debasement and public commotion. The course of a stream, which a thousand men cannot obstruct as it flows into the ocean, may be turned by a child at the fountain. Above, it will yield to the guidance of a hand. Below, its flood will sweep works and workmen away. There are other indications that public opinion on this subject is advancing in the right direction. More committees are inquiring into the qualifications of candidates for teaching, instead of taking such qualifications for granted. Persons who had taught school a dozen winters have been set aside for incompetency in the elementary branches, the law requiring committees to visit the schools has been better observed than ever before, and teachers are realizing the benefit of such visitations in the encouragement and stimulus they have supplied to the pupils. Many teachers are more justly appreciating the true elevation and responsibleness of their vocation, and are animated by those high motives whose prerogative it is to convert toil into pleasure. On the reverse side of this picture, however, it is my duty to present that of the twenty-nine rich and populous towns bound by law to keep a school at least ten months in each year for the benefit of all the inhabitants of the town and which were reported last year as violating this law by non-compliance only two namely nantucket and taunton have since established the schools required IT WILL BE RECOLLECTED THAT THIS CLASS OF TOWNS TAKES PRECEDENCE OF ALMOST ALL OTHERS IN WEALTH, THAT THEY EXPEND A FAR LESS PROPORTION OF THEIR MONEY PER SCHOLAR FOR THE SUPPORT OF PUBLIC SCHOOLS THAN THE POORER AND MORE SPARSELY POPULATED TOWNS, WHILE AT THE SAME TIME THEY EXPEND A FAR GREATER PROPORTION OF MONEY FOR THE PRIVATE SCHOOLS. AT THE RATE OF TWO IN A YEAR IT WILL TAKE ABOUT FIFTEEN YEARS FOR ALL THE TOWNS IN THIS CLASS TO COMPLY WITH THE LAW a length of probation it is to be feared which will tend to harden rather than reform the delinquents sufficient time has not yet elapsed to allow the practical results of last winter's legislation to be developed the law for the compensation of school committees was not enacted until after the committees for the current year had been elected the reasons which in former years had deterred so many competent men from accepting that meritorious office still existed. The ensuing annual elections will show how far the public will consent, that any man incompetent for or heartless in the performance of this responsible duty shall be entrusted with it and receive its compensation. Nor has the time yet arrived at which all school committees are to make to their respective towns a report designating particular improvements and defects in the methods or means of education, and stating such facts and suggestions in relation thereto, as in their opinion will best promote the interests and increase the usefulness of the schools, great good will unquestionably result from each of these provisions. The register, prescribed by the law of last winter, to be faithfully kept in all the town and district schools in the commonwealth, has been almost universally one or two places only so far as i have learned undertaking to absolve themselves from a compliance with the law introduced into the schools with excellent effect skilful teachers find it a valuable auxiliary in securing greater regularity in the attendance of their scholars by the report of last year it appeared that a portion of the children dependent wholly upon the common schools absented themselves from the winter school either permanently or occasionally, equal to a permanent absence of about one-third part of their whole number, and a portion absented themselves from the summer schools, either permanently or occasionally, equal to a permanent absence of considerably more than two-fifths of their whole number. Thus, after all the labor and expense of establishing, maintaining, and supervising the schools have been incurred, after the schools have been brought to the very doors of the children the school itself is made to suffer in all its departments by the inconstant attendance of the children and the children suffer in habits and character from inconstant attendance upon the school whatever diminishes this evil is cheaply bought though at much cost the keeping of a daily register is also the only means by which the committees can be enabled to make accurate, instead of conjectural, returns for the annual abstracts. The register and the annual abstract are so far parts of a whole, that both should be continued or both abolished. The abstracts are prepared as statistics for legislative action and economical science. If true, they will evince philosophical principles to be the basis of wise measures, but if false they lead to practical errors with scientific certainty, and they annul the chance which ignorance enjoys of being sometimes right by accident or mistake. The board are already aware that the form of the register prepared this year was sent out in single sheets, and for one year only, so that its fitness might be tested, and that in order to establish a more perfect and permanent register, all persons were invited to suggest improvements. In the circulars sent to the school committees this invitation was repeated. Verbally, or in writing, I have received a variety of suggestions for modifying the form. Some of these suggestions are diametrically opposite to each other. Everywhere they come from towns lying side by side, and whose general circumstances, except in the amount of attention bestowed upon their schools, are similar the number of towns in the country is precisely equal which on one side declare it to be too complicated and particular and on the other suggest as improvements the addition of a number of new items i mention these particulars that the towns may know how impossible is a conformity to views so conflicting as some teachers and school committees do not seem to be aware of the advantages of keeping so full a register as has been proposed perhaps it may be expedient to prepare a form embracing those facts only of which a record should be kept in every school, and then to leave it to those who more fully appreciate its uses, to keep such a supplementary register as they may think best. The report on schoolhouses, made by me to the Board in March last, detailing, among other things, a plan for a union of school districts and a gradation of schools, in places where the compactness of the population would allow, was followed by an act of the legislature on April 25th, authorizing a union of school districts, for the important purposes specified. A few towns have already acted upon that plan, and the public mind is earnestly called to it by the Friends of Education in other places. Wherever it can be adopted, it will tend to diminish the evils and to increase the efficiency of our educational system. But were all the territory of the State judiciously divided into districts, were there a just gradation in the schools, were every schoolhouse good, had every school the best teacher that could be found, and the guidance and encouragement of the most wise and assiduous school committee, still all these would be only preliminary steps in the numerous and complicated processes of education the true medium in the government of schools between austere demeanour and severity on the one hand and on the other a facile temper yielding to every pressure and just according to the pressure the great questions of rewards and punishments whose influence spreads out over such wide tracts of feeling and character in after life the selection of motives to enkindle the ardour of children in their studies, together with the precedence of these motives in regard to each other, that is whether the minds of children should be for ever turned outwards, to the worldly advantages of wealth, office, rank, display, as incitements to duty, or inwards, towards the perception of right and wrong in their own hearts, and to the noiseless, boundless rewards which nature gives for conscientious conduct in spite of the laws or power or hate of men. The one course setting the applause of the world before rectitude, the other reversing their position. And in regard to processes, more intellectual in their character, such as the succession of studies best tending to cultivate the mental powers, in the order of their natural development, the question of a more or less rapid alternation from one study to another the degrees in which either the instruction or government of a school should be modified so as to be adapted to the peculiarities of individual character. All these, and many more points, would remain to be settled, before the outlines were filled up of anything worthy to be called a philosophical plan of education. Surveying the subject, therefore, in the extent and diversity of its parts, the only practicable and useful course seemed to be to select some particular topic, and as far as possible, to collect facts, educe principles, and offer hints for practice. Science must grow out of observation, art out of science. From the earliest observations made on visiting schools, and such as I have visited were probably above the average of schools in the State, I have been impressed with the obvious want of intelligence in the reading classes, respecting the subject-matter of the lessons. With some exceptions, I regret to say that the eyes, features, and motions of the readers have indicated only bodily sensations, not mental activity, while the volume of voice emitted has too closely resembled those mechanical contrivances for the transmission of fluids which, with admirable precision, discharge equal quantities in equal times. At the same time I was sure that, had the subject-matter of the reading-lesson been understood, it would have opened a fountain of pleasurable emotions within, whose streams would have flowed out through every channel of expression. And on examination I have often found that the black-and-white page of the book was the outer boundary of the reader's thoughts and a barrier to arrest their progress, instead of being a vehicle to carry them onward or upward into whatever region the author might have expatiated. When the pupils were directed to the subject-matter of the reading-lesson, to the orderly unfolding of its parts as branches proceeding from a common trunk, I have found them committing mistakes which, though ludicrous as facts, were most lamentable as indications. Deeming the mode— and the degree of success found to attend it, of teaching our children the orthography and significance of their mother-tongue to be the most important question which could be put in regard to their intellectual culture, I determined to make these points the main objects of inquiry in my annual visit into the different counties. For distinctness' sake, I proposed, among others, the two following questions, to the school committees of the several towns in the State. First, are scholars in your schools kept in spelling classes from the time of their earliest combination of letters up to the time of their leaving school, or what is the course ordinarily pursued in regard to teaching orthography, and how long is it continued? Second, are there defects in teaching scholars to read? This inquiry is not made in regard to the pronunciation of words and the modulation of the voice but do the scholars fail to understand the meaning of the words they read do they fail to master the sense of the reading lessons is there a presence in the minds of the scholars when reading of the ideas and feelings intended to be conveyed and excited by the author in answer to another question not here quoted relative to the ages within which children attend our public schools i have learnt that exclusive regulations founded on age exist in but very few towns, probably in not more than fifteen or twenty in the State. And although the great majority of the children in the schools are between the ages of four and sixteen, yet in almost all the towns they are allowed to attend both earlier and later, they are found from three and sometimes from two years of age, up to twenty-one years very frequently, and sometimes to twenty-four or twenty-five. I learn, also, that with scarcely a single exception in the whole State, the scholars are kept in spelling-classes, or they spell daily from their reading-lessons, from the time of their earliest combination of letters up to the time of their leaving school. And yet, if testimony derived from a thousand sources, and absolutely uniform, can be relied on, there is a babel like diversity in the spelling of our language. It is impossible to ascertain with any considerable degree of precision the percentage of words in ordinary use which the children are unable to spell, but it seems to be the general opinion of the most competent observers that the schools have retrograded within the last generation or half-generation in regard to orthography. Nor is the condition of the schools better in regard to reading, as will hereafter be shown. The evil of incorrect spelling and unintelligent reading is by no means wholly imputable to teachers. It springs in part from the use of books ill-adapted to the different stages of growth in youthful minds. Another cause consists in a most pernicious error on the part of parents in regard to the true object of reading. Many teachers have assured me that they are perfectly aware that the time spent in reading is mainly lost but that the usages of the school and the demands of the district prohibit them perhaps under penalty of dismissal from adopting a better mode it is said that the first and only inquiry made by parents of their children is how many times and how much have you read not what have you read about a question like the last presupposes some judgment and some ability to follow it up with further inquiries but anybody can put the first, for it is an easy problem which solves the ratio of mental progress by the number of pages mechanically gone over. The children's minds are not looked into to see what new operations they can accurately perform, but the inquiry relates only to the amount of labor done by the organs of speech, as though so many turns of the bodily machine would yield perforce a corresponding amount of mental product it is characteristic of the learned professions that the person employed directs the employer and it is earnestly to be hoped that teachers will soon deservedly win so much of the confidence of the community that they will no longer feel constrained to practice methods they know to be valueless in order to harmonize with opinions they know to be pernicious it is probable also that this mischief may have been aggravated in those places where there is a gradation of schools by conditions prescribed in their regulations, for advancing from one school to another. One important fact I have learned is that in places containing in the aggregate not less than one hundred thousand inhabitants, about one-seventh of the population of the State, a condition for rising from one school to another is, either in express words or in substance, that the candidate shall be able to read fluently under such a rule should a strong desire exist to advance children to a higher school there is great danger that the value of intelligent reading will be sacrificed to the worthlessness of mere fluent reading in this state where the schools are open to all an inability to spell the commonly used words in our language justly stamps the deficient mind with the stigma of illiteracy notwithstanding the intrinsic difficulty of mastering our orthography there must be some defect in the manner of teaching it otherwise this daily attention of the children to the subject from the commencement to the end of their school-going life should make them adepts in the mystery of spelling except in cases of mental incapacity anomalous arbitrary contradictory as is the formation of the words of our language from its letters yet it is the blessing of the children, that they know not what they undertake when they begin the labor. End of section nine.